we'll, uh, we'll go straight um, into the topic. So thank you very much, everybody, for, for having me here today. The title on your screen, um, The Salt of the Earth, is a topic that's been on my mind since the first moment that uh, Ian Seddon sent me an email. Um, it's something that came into my mind pretty quickly. Um, and I'll try and demonstrate the scenario, the situation, and why that happened. And today, all of the verses that you need to refer to will be on a screen for those who want to look at them. Um, and we'll start um, quickly by reading some verses from Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11 we'll start at, which says, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm back on there. Um, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavour... How shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Yet your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's the essence of our main verses here today. The situation that was faced, and you don't need to see the details of this, but this little picture is a picture of a place called Groisvine in Wales. And I live on the map 300 yards from this place. Okay? Um, and this place, you can just see in the distance on the top left, a little white house. Our house is just about there. We walk down this hill every day um, to pick our children up from the school. They come home on a bus, um, and every day I stand just where those people are stood. It's a very gloomy picture, typical of South Wales today. Um, but that building behind you is a chapel, a well-known chapel in South Wales. But actually, one of the things I found out one day walking down to this bus stop with my dad, was dad said, um, well, what's that building behind? And I said, well, uh, didn't you know? It's, it's a Brethren church, okay? And the little building to the right behind that chapel is the Brethren church, okay? It's 300 yards from my house, and for four years, I'd walk down that hill, and I didn't realize. Um, and when I started digging into it, I did a bit of research, and it's, uh, it's a Plymouth Brethren Church, okay? And um, uh, astounded, there was no signs. And we're not going to really talk about the Plymouth Brethren particularly today. But I wanted to make a point from it. It stood out to me that there was something so close to me in my locality, the local church, that I didn't know anything about. It wasn't evident that it was there. Right? It wasn't evident, there was no sign. And it made me reflect upon our own assemblies. Right? Um, how visible are we? Okay? But it also made me reflect a little bit about my own life and how visible am I as a Christian? Right? How much do I stand out as a Christian for the right things? When you look into some of the background of the Plymouth Brethren, their lifestyle is something that is, is pretty strict. Okay? And you might say we, one day, in the past were very much similar. Uh, they get up every Sunday morning at 6 a.m. for the remembrance service. Okay, I drive past here for the remembrance every Sunday morning. Um, I never see anybody because they've all gone by the time I get past. Okay, their lifestyle is pretty challenging. And we've moved quite a distance from that. Um, and that's okay. 
But I would suggest even so, when you look back at this environment, this little building in the background, are we hidden as Christians today? So then you come to the verses that we've read, okay? And today we're going to focus a little bit more on the first passage. Ye are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And when you look at this, we could focus very easily on the second passage, the light, okay? And you look at that scenario, that building that was hidden, okay? Are our assemblies hidden? That's an obvious thing that you might look at. But this topic of salt and losing its saltiness, I think is something of a profound importance to us as individuals within churches of God. And I think it's a profound importance to each and every one of us to enable this light to be able to be shone in the right way. So that's what we're going to look at today. Um, we're going to start just a little bit with dispelling some of the myths, right? So if you study this topic, and many have spoken on it years in the past, some people will talk about how salt is of great value, okay? Now, one of the myths around that was that Roman soldiers were paid in salt, okay? And uh, there's two packets of salt there on the right-hand side, both from my kitchen. Um, one is Saxa salt, a classic salt that many of you will, will have used in your own kitchens. Um, it doesn't vary in price, 750 grams, about 90p. It's something that's called commoditized in today's world. Um, it doesn't go any more expensive. But even the good stuff, right, the rock salt on the right-hand side, it's only a pound 45. It's pretty hard to charge something, and it's always been that way. But in the past, in the Roman times and biblical times, Roman soldiers they required salt, it was used for preservation, right? It was used because there wasn't refrigeration in the same ways. And because of that, there's some thoughts that people derive the word salary from it, okay? Because the word salarium, the Latin and salaria, the adjective has this sal at the beginning, but that's not strictly true, it's a myth, okay? But it is true to say that salt was of great value for its preservation abilities. It was very common and the salt trade was huge even to the point that the Romans themselves um, controlled that salt trade because of its importance, okay? So it's not of great value. So why, why are we therefore called the salt of the earth, okay? And I think there's something deeper in this about what it teaches us, not just about its value, but about the things it stands for. So I've talked briefly already about two aspects of salt. Now on your chairs, much to many people's surprise, there were packets of crisps, okay? Now you can open them as you go through because there's a number of pictures of uh, food. So if you do get hungry, please feel free to snack. Um, these are salt and shake crisps, okay? Many of you will reminisce back maybe even to your childhood to salt and shake crisps, okay? Um, and the point of the message in them, right, is that the crisps on their own are pretty bland, okay? You add the salt to them and it actually starts to enhance the flavor of them, okay? So you can enjoy those to your heart's content. I don't mind if you rustle, that's okay. Um, but please feel free to eat them later or take them home because um, Ange will probably kill me if I spoil your food. Um, so there's two aspects on the screen here. Um, the first one's about preservation. And as I said, in the Old Testament times, there was no refrigeration. Um, and preservation of food was done by applying salt in copious quantities to foods. And many of you will know that with salt-cured bacon and hams and those sorts of things. And it works by um, teasing out the moisture, okay? It teases out the moisture, which could it allow microbes to grow and the, the harmful things to culture on your food. 
That's one aspect of it. And the second as aspect is flavor enhancement. Okay, that's the salt and shake crisps. Um, I could have put a picture up here, but I'll show it later of some lovely roast potatoes. And that kind of flavoring is the aspect where you can enhance the flavors. And it brings out something quite different. And these are the two points I'd like you to take away really today and remember is the preservation and the flavor enhancement part. And we'll try and bring some of those out through scripture. So preservation and purification have added to that. And I'll, I want to talk firstly about um, the example of Lot, okay, and Lot's wife. We won't delve into this in too much depth and detail. Um, but I've just got the one verse there because it's a well-known story for many. The situation of Sodom and Gomorrah was something terrible. Um, God looked down upon that sinful place and, and it was detestable to him. And he wanted to do something um, to get rid of it. And you know the, the story about how Abraham pleads with God, if only there's 50 good men. And the numbers, he pleads and pleads and pleads until he gets down to this point of, well, if there's only five good men. And when you get to that sort of number, Abraham says, can I just ask you this one last time? And it's actually maybe a lesson for us. Maybe he limited what God, God could do with his prayer. Just this one last time. Maybe if he kept praying, God would have been even more gracious to him. Maybe he limited God in his prayer. But as you know, the story goes on that eventually Lot's family are extracted from Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed, but as it's been destroyed, Lot's wife looks back. And she looks back and she's turned into this pillar of salt. And I guess the question comes up, well, well why salt? Okay, why was she turned into salt? She could have been turned into many different things, a pillar of stone, a pillar of bronze, a pillar of many things. So there's obviously some symbolism, some importance to this aspect of why she was turned into a pillar of salt. And some have spoken about this in the past, um, and it's true because in Deuteronomy, it brings up this aspect about the story of Lot, that the whole land, this is Deuteronomy 29 and verse 23, if you want to turn to it, the whole land will be a burning waste of salt and sulfur, nothing planted, nothing sprouting, no vegetation growing on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in fierce anger. And there's an aspect of salt when applied in such extreme quantities that it kills everything. It makes it barren. Okay, And you could say one of the lessons is one of a pure desolation, right? The destruction of sinfulness, okay? But when Lot's wife looked back, she was craving back to the things of the past. She was looking backwards. And the lesson for us as Christians is we are new creations in Christ. We are new creations and we're to look forwards. We're not to look backwards to the old way of things. We're not to cherish those things that might have been enjoyable at some stage in our lives the natural things. And God brings in this purification, the demonstration of the salt. There's another aspect of this that I just want to bring out from Exodus, and it's this example of being pure, being pure. In Exodus, it talks about this um, fragrant spice and the, the mixture that is used to make this incense that is then going to be placed by the altar and by the Ark of the Covenant. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, take fragrant spices, gum, resin, onature, and galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. 
It's to be salted and pure and sacred. And this aspect of purity, right, is the thing that enables the preserving aspect. Okay, that's the link between the, these two words at the top. By being pure, by bringing in the salt, was the thing that enabled the food to last longer, the thing to preserve. Now, the flavour enhancement part, I just want to touch on in a little bit more detail. Um, the first example from Leviticus 2 talks about this, this grain offering. And it talks about the people having to season all of the grain offerings with salt. It says, do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offering. Add salt to all of your offerings. And there's two aspects in that, really. One that links back to the first part of preservation. And one that is about this enhancement aspect. So it talks about seasoning this offering, this sacrificial aspect, with salt. And that's the thing that enhances that. But it links back to this covenant of your God. Okay, and the covenant of the God was between Israel and God. And this covenant was a long-standing thing, a never-ending thing, some that, something that was going to last, be preserved. Okay, so there's a link between these two things. They, they aren't completely separable. But it's an important aspect that with our sacrificial giving, with the things, the time that we give to God in our service for him, they should be seasoned with salt, okay? And I'll explain what I mean is salt in our current lives in due course. In Mark 9, verse 10, it says, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. This aspect of salt in our service here today, whatever it is, and we'll explain that, is something that can help us work in together, okay? It's something that can encourage us and support us and help us to be at peace with one another. Um, so what is it about salt that allows it to do that? And I suggest there's something about the way we act, the way we behave, that is brought out by this topic of salt. And then finally in Colossians 4 and verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everybody. And there's an aspect there that's not just internal within our churches, but also external, okay? And you can see that from the Matthew verses as well, when you get onto the light aspect, there's a part about inward aspects and a bit of outward. But it talks about our conversation being full of grace, seasoned with salt. So it's important in our outreach aspect that we bring this salt to it, okay? So we'll try and explain what that is. So I didn't want to touch on the topic of the light of the world particularly and our light, but you can't avoid it in this passage, right? It's important the things are linked together. Now the picture on the right-hand side, you won't be able to read the details, but I'll explain where it comes from. So I was in a conversation in Japan with um, one of the materials engineers from Toshiba, and they're developing new LED technology that you will see in your lights, okay? And they're working extremely hard to develop the right kind of light. Okay, you say, well, what do you mean the right kind of light? Well, it's been proven now by many different tests that types of light can affect your mood. Okay, if you wake up in the morning and you consume significant amounts of blue light, okay, certain spectrums, it will make you feel very angry. Okay, if you try and consume blue light every night before you go to bed, it will make you restless. 
Okay, and what do I mean by blue light? If you look at your mobile phone, that's a good example. Television is a good example. Okay, so actually removing blue light. But the studies they did prove that natural light, the candle light, actually is something that's warming, right? It's something that does something good for your mood. And I think most of you instinctively know that when you look at a warm fireplace, you see the burning flames. That uh, nostalgic, warm, comforting feeling isn't just the warmth of the fire, but it's something to do with the colour. And I wanted to link that back to this topic of light of the world here today. It, it explains to us in both these passages of you are the salt and you are the light. It's not a, um, a choice, something that's going to happen in the future. You are already it. Okay, you are the light of the world. And you are built on a hill. Okay, there's two aspects to that. It's meant to be visible. Okay, but it's also meant to be lofty. Right, the, the light that you are shining is meant to be the light of Christ. It's not something that's of ourselves. It's meant to be something that's pure, holy. And it's not meant to be hidden. Right, we talked about that little picture of a building in the background of our churches. Our lights as individuals and as churches aren't meant to be hidden. But the question is, what colour light do we shine out? Is it one that gives the impression of ourselves, our own efforts, our own actions, our own I know, emotions and feelings? Or is it one that shines out this salt of Christ? And this is the link, right, that we are the salt of the earth. And there's something important in that is meant to be shone out in this light. So that's the strong link back to saltiness. And I, I put a little note on the bottom, what, one little analogy, right? Um, how many of us, when you go out to eat dinner in a restaurant, give thanks for the food in public? Yeah, many of you might go, all of us do, right? But how many of us do that? And it's an aspect, right, that is very evident of your Christianity, isn't it, if you give thanks for food in public? It's just one little trivial example. And you could say that's shining your light. But I suggest it's also an example of the salt in your life, okay? It's something that is evident that Christianity, that your Lord is important, runs all the way through your life. Okay, we'll talk about some more examples. Now the verses talk about um, the salt leading to this, you are the light, and then the good deeds being shown. There's a saying that's often used that, um, uh, take that with a pinch of salt. Okay, and I, I wondered where that came from, and I, I can't find the, the real ins and outs of that detail. Um, but I think most of you understand the meaning of that. Often I use it with uh, something my children have said. Um, take that with a pinch of salt. You don't know if there's much truth in what they've said, particularly our eldest. Um, but the reality is that this pinch of salt saying is, is trying to say that you can see the truth if you bring the salt. So if we bring the salt of Christ into our conversations with each other, into our conversations with people in and out of our churches, it is evident that what the truth will be shown forward. If we bring anything other than that salt, if we bring our own views of the world, our own views of life, we're just bringing ourself and the light we will shine will be one of self-righteousness. Now, somebody's once sort of suggested that um, these aspects, um, particularly our response to hardships and suffering, um, is one aspect of demonstrating the salt of Christ in your life. 
And what I mean by that is if you, the reason we read verses 11 and 12 of Matthew 5 is the scene, the context of this is set within. You've got the series of blessed are the, okay? And for us, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake. If we're acting in a Christ-like way, if we're demonstrating the things that are pure, the things that are flavour-enhancing, um, in our relationships, in our conversations with other, others, it is natural that we will be persecuted for them. It will na- be natural that we suffer for that. And if we understand our position in Christ, our eternal hope, our security, the blessings we have here and in the future, our response to that will be one of joy in persecution, one of joy in sorrow. And how unnatural does that seem to the people outside. When you suffer, yet you have joy in suffering. Um, one of the most poignant times that I've ever experienced in my life was uh, at Duncan Hicklin's funeral, where Peter talks about Duncan, and um, he talks about how the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I think that response, even though you're in sorrow, in great sorrow, is one of remarkable response and a powerful, profound response. And these are aspects, I suggest, of our our salt being shown out. Our caring for each other within churches. Um, We've had a number of people come into Cardiff Assembly who've commented what a loving church this is. I don't know which aspect it is of that. Um, But our care for each other, whether amongst ourselves or our outward care, is something that is evidence of our Christ-likeness, of our salt. And our lack of desire for the things of this earth. Um, If you don't have salt on those crisps, they're pretty bland. If you blend into the world, you're pretty bland. Okay, you don't stand out. And now there's a fine balance in this, right? I'm not suggesting in everything you have to appear completely odd. This is is Christ-likeness, right? This is showing forward the likeness of Christ in your life. And I think when we don't desire the things of this world, when we realize our eternal perspective, um, those aspects really make us stand out in a good way. Um, People think, well, why are you so secure about things in life? Why don't you want the car? Why don't you want the house? Why don't you aspire to all these things? I'm not suggesting some of those things you're given by God in his grace aren't acceptable, but the natural desire for these things and wanting more It's something that doesn't come um, with this Christ-likeness. Who you know set the greatest example in this. You can just read Philippians, can't you? And his humble attitude, taking the form of a man. You can expand on that to the nth degree and you can see Christ's likeness. Wanted to share this good news. Our desperation not to be hidden, right, is something that will be evident um, to others and something unnatural. But it's something, if it is good to us, we should want to share it. And then the last point is, I've said truly welcoming people into our lives. I, I couldn't fi- find the right words to write down there. What I mean by that is in our churches, how do we strengthen relationships? It's important to have strong relationships with people who come in. Truly welcome people into your lives, not just on a Sunday, right? Into your lives as a whole. And I think that is a good way in which we can demonstrate this salt. Now, 
the verses talk about losing our saltiness and um, how does that happen? Right, how can one lose saltiness? Now, some of you are chemists will know that salt is sodium chloride um, and sodium chloride, it doesn't change as such. If, if salt is still there, it can't lose its saltiness. If it's still sodium chloride, it is still sodium chloride, okay? But if you mix it with water, okay, the water leaches out the sodium, okay, the positive ions and the chlorine, the negative, and it leaches those out. And what it leaves behind is the dross, right? It leaves the crystals of other things, right? So if you see the salt on the road that people put down for the frosty day, it mixes with the water, it leaches out the sodium and the chlorine, and it leaves the grit and everything else that's around. Now, what's the analogy for our lives? Well, if the salt of Christ is not there, if it's leached out by our approach to things, right, by our lack of involving Christ, by our lack of study, our lack of trying to apply what God wants us to do, then all it leaves is ourselves. And it leaves our, our natural desires, our selfish desires to do things. And that will be the thing that is shone out. Right? You can still be active and shining a light, but it might not be the right light. And if you do that, then our, our testimony can be damaged. And there's an obvious link, isn't there, with the purity aspects. If we do leave, lead lives that are clearly impure, unholy, then our reputation amongst others will be tarnished. And it's quite difficult to get that back, isn't it? It takes time to repair. Whilst you can repent fully yourself and God will be gracious to forgive us in all things, your external reputation can be easily damaged by your approach. And it takes time to repair that. Now, through lack of differentiation, I've talked about this, the analogy of the crisps. Um, if we're bland, if we don't stand out for the right reasons, um, then we will just blend into the world. There will be nothing attractive about why somebody else should be a Christian. Our lives are wonderful, not only for eternity, but today. God has blessed us with so many wonderful things. Um, he wants us to lead lives that are full of joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He says, and those things are powerful to us here and today. He doesn't want us to be bland, right? The picture, which I haven't shown here, but the roasties, as I said, without the salt, they're pretty bland. Um, you add that little crust of sea salt and they're delicious, right? And many of you enjoy. And then we've touched a little bit on the lack of openness. I've, I've wrote a little bullet there, living one life. Um, maybe a lesson from my own life and experience. So, I've often tried to compartmentalize my life, work, church, family, whichever aspects you want to do. And as you come up through your student life or whatever it is, you've, you've got different groups of friends, different societies you mix in. And you can sometimes be the Christian on one side and something different on the other. And we shouldn't be that, right? We are to be singular. We are to lead one life, our Christianity, you are the salt of the earth. There's no denying it. You are the light of the world. You have to lead the singular life. We have to. Um, and many of these things I reflect on myself, okay? So I'm, I'm preaching in a way here, but they are reflections of my own life. Always being prepared to give an answer. And this has to be an answer, as we'll talk, that is appropriate. Now, some practical little thoughts. I'm watching my time as we go. 
Um, how salty should we be? Okay. Now these things, you're not going to see very much on them. Um, but I've heard it said that, look, Western world is a wonderful place to live in. We are free to practice our Christianity in the way we want to. Um, and there's no fear of persecution. Okay, this is a sort of statement that comes up every so often. Um, now, on the left-hand side of these, as a, as a parent of young children, maybe I think on these maybe a little more, um, because they're challenging within a school environment. But the first top left says, scientists want, to, want creationism teaching ban in Welsh schools. Okay, so they want to ban the ability to teach yeah, children about creation. And our children go to a church school yet they're not allowed to teach creation. Now, how, how strange does that seem, right, and the conflict? Um, and on the, the next picture across, Welsh people's biblical food zoo visits questions, right? So there's a, there's a zoo down in Bristol called Noah's Ark Zoo. And it's wonderful if you want to go visit with your children. You can travel around and there's little notice boards next to each of the animals that bring out the story of Noah's Ark. And children from schools go there on school trips, but there's criticism trying to challenge it because it's feeding children with something that's seen as wrong in this world. Now, should we stand up against those things? I said I'm very careful here in what I talk about. How salty should we be? Because there's a natural reaction if you do stand up against these things. You will be persecuted. Right? There's a certainty to it. But there's a level of reflection in this, right, that I'd like us to consider, is some of our lives and our, our approach not sufficiently salty? Um, the ones on the right-hand side are even more challenging, okay? So the top one, um, many of you may have seen this in the news, uh, uh, American restaurant Chick-fil-A um, opened their first restaurant in London, and it's now shut, okay? And the reason it's shut was that as a company, they donate to the Salvation Army, they donate to a number of other Christian institutions, and uh, protesters have encouraged it to be closed because of those institutions' clarity on what is male and female, okay? And how that smarts against the current trend of LGBT. And I'm not trying to be harsh against these things. In all of our attitudes, in our saltiness, we have to demonstrate Christ, one of compassion, of love, and of care. But we shouldn't be hidden, right, with our clear views on these things. And the bottom right one's a well-known story of the, uh, the cake-baking uh, couple, young couple in Northern Ireland, and how they stood up for what was written, asked to be written on a cake. And they said, we cannot stand by that. We cannot write and promote things on a cake. Um, you can do what you like yourselves, but we cannot promote because we are Christians. So I said, how salty should we be? And I want you to take that with a pinch of salt, right? Be careful, right, with this. Um, but I also want you to reflect on that topic. Now, can we have too much salt? Well, I, th I think it's evident that it's impossible to have too much salt of Christ in our lives. Okay, we've, we've used the Deuteronomy verse already. It talks about the, the effect of having so much salt causes destruction, right? It causes everything to be um, killed off. The picture on the right-hand side, some of you will have seen in the press the, the fastest um, car trial they're doing at the moment in uh, the Kalahari Desert. And the salt plains where they're trialing that um, is all flat and barren because of the quantity of salt, okay? 
So in, in a practical sense, you, you can have too much salt, but having too much of the salt of Christ is impossible, right? But you can have too much of yourself, okay? And as I've said, where the water leaches out the salt, all that's left is the dross. And if you leave ourself there, and Luke 18, verses 9 to 14, sort of gives you that impression, doesn't it? You know very well, I think, the story of the Pharisees and their attitude. Um, they would exalt themselves. They would look upon others, right? Look at this sinner. Look how good I am. Right? And it's very easier to become that self-righteous character. And there's none righteous, no, not one. Even though we've been made the righteousness in Christ, we have to have that attitude like Christ, that it's not about self, but it's about showing him. So I'd suggest the only way you can have too much salt in your own life is to show yourself. Now you think, well, what practically does that mean? And I think, well, in our circumstances, sometimes in our churches, in our activities, we try and we try and try of our own esteem. We try of our own efforts. And it's not for us to do that. Now, there's a saying sometimes, you need to be in the world, but not of the world. And it comes from these verses in John 17, verses 14 to 18. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And I suggest maybe a, a different twist on this today might be useful. Instead of saying in but not of, what about it's not of this world, but we're sent into this world. And we are requested to be different to this world. You are the salt of the earth. But we have to go into the world. We are the light of the world. The things aren't separable. And we have to go in with the right attitude in our lives. Now, I've got a, just a couple more points. Um, why aren't our churches growing today? It's a question that many people have asked. Um, I'm not suggesting I've got all the answers to this. But I think I wanted to pose a few thoughts in your minds. If God wants us to grow, then surely we will. Right? Nothing's impossible for God. If God wants us to grow... Job 42 says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Our God is all-powerful. He can achieve anything. So if he wants us to grow, um, then surely we will. So maybe he doesn't want us to grow. That's the only conclusion I can draw. Right? Maybe he doesn't want us to grow. Or possibly the other route in a fault tree, if you think of it that way, is maybe we're hindering that growth. The verse talks about if you've lost your saltiness, then it is no longer useful for anything. Maybe we're not effective. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So if we've lost this ability to, to demonstrate Christ's likeness in our relationships, to show forth Christ in the right light, then possibly we're ineffective. But possibly, the extension of that is we're trying in our own strength. And I know how many of us are so active in our assemblies. We're extremely busy, many of us, in our assemblies. Um, and the example of Gideon often encourages me. Um, 
This little passage from Judges 6. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. You know the story of Gideon very well, but it's, uh, it's an example where Gideon starts off with, well, how am I capable? Well, he understands pretty quickly that it's about God's power. And they get this reduction of 30,000 men down to 300 men to go and uh, uh, work with the Amalekites and the Midianites and to defeat them. And God's power is shown forth. God takes them to such a number that it's only possible for God to work. They can't overcome those people and the collection of all the people themselves. So maybe in our circumstances, we just need to let God work. We need to let God's um, style, his salt, the salt of Christ, show forward. Now in Revelation, um, there's seven churches talked about. And the seven churches, I would say, are probably archetypal of um, any of our churches. Right? There were more than seven um, at the time, um, but only seven are talked about. And what I mean by that is maybe they're typical right, of any one of us. I've listed three here, and I think probably many of us could associate it with some of these. Right? Are you Ephesus, right? the church that is very, very busy, but has lost its first love? Okay, what does it mean by lost his first love? Maybe lost that wonder that comes with salvation, the ability to share that first love with others, possibly. Sardis, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Maybe once again, we're going through the motions, right? Maybe we're not showing forth the right light. Laodicea, I know your deeds, you're neither hot or cold. And this is the one I fear the most. Am I lukewarm? Right. Am I active on a Sunday, but the rest of my life isn't active? I live, as I said, multiple lives. My church life, my family life, my work life. Is that lukewarm? So I didn't want to dwell too much on this, but I just wanted to prompt your thoughts, really. Now, why do we get into these situations? I've got a, a book that I love very much, the C.S. Lewis book, The, the Screwtape Letters. Um, many of you will have read it. It's not vast. I'm not a huge reader, but it's one I've read. Um, and this is a passage that gives me great encouragement sometimes. Many of you will have known it. And I, I don't know if you've read the structure of the book, but it's a series of letters. Um, there's a character called Wormwood, okay, who, who works on behalf of the devil. And he's working with people on the earth who he calls patients. Okay. And he says this to him, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. But do not indulge the hope that you will escape the usual penalties. Indeed, in your better moments, I trust you would hardly even wish to do so. In the meantime, we must make the best of the situation. There's no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient both mental and bodily, are still in our favour. So this person has become a Christian with the devil saying, don't worry, I can still act upon them. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her, spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners that I confess is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. And what he's trying to portray here, C.S. Lewis, is 
the picture that God has of us as individual saints built up in churches of God in his house. It's a wonderful thing that the devil looks at as something terrible, something fearful. The power that we have amongst us, if we act in a Christ-like way, if we are salty and we shine forward the right light, the devil fears it, but he knows full well. We look at each other, right? The passage goes on, it describes about the butcher or whoever else sat next to you. And it talks about how because of the things we see around us, that we are feeling uneasy about our Christianity, uncomfortable with our small numbers. We should be encouraged. We are powerful because our God is on our side. I'm not going to dwell on this one very much either. We won't talk about it because time's gone. But a little old book, um, person F.A. Banks, a young Christian, died at the age of 25. Died um, probably, I think, somebody will correct me later, before he was ever in the Church of God. Um, now, he had this vision that he describes in this little book of Churches of God. And one of the passages he says is he believes that all of us should be individuals, right, who are not going along in their lives by spasmodic obedience controlled by circumstances, but in continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. He had this vision that was all of us working together constantly. The verses below, we won't read them, but they basically talk about being constant, not swayed from one thing to the next. We should all be continuing steadfastly, and it's important for our reputations that we do it that way. So finally, and this is the last point, um, how do we protect our saltiness? Um, the verse in Philippians, I think, is really encouraging to me. Um, the joy of the Lord is our strength, we know. And it talks about rejoicing in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. This links, doesn't it, back to that joy in sorrow, joy in suffering. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is such or is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And that last paragraph really sums it up for me. If you want to develop this right salt in your life, Think on those things that are right, they're noble, they're pure, and our outward attitude to each other and in our outreach lives will be one that is worthy of our Lord and our God. So thank you.